Bougie Ginoa. This is Charles Smith. I'm Ojibwe from the Fond du Lac Reservation, and you're listening to the Middle of the Res Road podcast. Bougie Anishinaabe Doug. This is Joel Boje. I'm an Ojibwe from the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians. This is in collaboration with the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council, a.k.a. MNTCC, the show that is designed to be the source of information about industry job opportunities, success stories, trainings, and upcoming projects for Native Americans. We also share about our culture and language because it is the foundation of our identities. Oh. I don't know how to start this podcast out this time. I think we can just start out like that. Yeah. Uh, so back here with middle of the res road, Joel and I here with the great Shandell Friedman. And I could, I guess I could do a great long, big bio of her <laughs> and then, you know, say no to someone that doesn't need an introduction. Yeah, she, she no, really doesn't. She's an upstanding member of the community, and that's why we brought her in because of some of that work that she does in the community for the community. So I think it's a very valuable asset to have in our community. Hell yeah. Hey, Shandell, can you give us a little bit of background information on you? Sure. So, um... Uh, my name is Shandell Friedman. I uh, grew up on the Fond du Lac Reservation. Um, today I am living in Duluth. I am seven years in recovery. So growing up. Congrats. Thank you. So growing up, um, I've seen a lot of addiction and abuse and um, today, I live a life in recovery, so, like, I get to teach my daughter about living a good life. Um, I am a counselor at Tugwi Recovery Center. Congrats on that, Shandell. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So, you're at Tugwi, and uh, I was listening to your story last month and uh, when you did the sorority phase, mm-hmm. and so you... you you were telling everybody that you didn't really expect to be a counselor mm-hmm. and that being in recovery, it just made sense eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, can you explain that process? So when I first started working in treatment, I started working at Muscogee when I got to a year sober and um, working as a tech, like it's cool. Cause you just like hanging out and you know, you gotta like, make sure everybody's there and they're alive and it's very basic. Right. And eventually I got the desire to go back to school and thinking about what I wanted to do. I heard about this peer recovery specialist job and I was like, that sounds pretty cool. Sounds basically what I'm doing already, but just a little bit more work. And, um, in doing that, working one-on-one with people, Like, I started to think about being a counselor, but at the same time, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I can, like, hold people accountable and, like, be stern with people. Because I'm really, I'm compassionate, but I also, like, had this fear of people not liking me or valuing what I had to say. So I kind of stayed away from counseling for a while. Um After doing peer support for two years, I was like, okay, I want to go back to school again. And I took one counseling class because what I went back to school for was human human services, right? Not for counseling, but they said I could take a counseling class. And so I took one and I was like, okay, I think it's time for me to, to grow and do something that I'm afraid that I've been afraid of doing. And, and I love it. Like, it's really not that hard to tell people the hard things because you know I know like ultimately it's going to help them yeah that's so weird that you say that you know I don't know I think about my life and I and Joel and I we have conversations about this and I have conversations with my friends about this but it seems like the things that we're afraid of are the things that we're supposed to be doing you ever get that yeah and I don't know it's led me into it's led me to be on this podcast it's led me to use my voice to ask you know, get to have conversations with people on the podcast or networking or working, socializing. 
uh, going to ceremonies, any of those things. But that fear, I don't know. It seems like once you get in, in tune with yourself, once you're in recovery, once you have a clear, you know, that clarity that we get when we're in recovery, mm-hmm. I don't know that fear. I know we always say in the program, we can't live in fear, but that fear like pushes me to do things that I'm not normally doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think yeah. like that too? It it really does. It really does. And I see that um, it's really benefited me and, and throughout my life. It has, um, I, I was just always too scared to push the button, you know, like I was too scared to push that button and find out the outcome. Cause I was always so worried about other people how other people mm-hmm. portray me, how other people might take me as in a bad way. And mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> same thing, you know, like when I was working at the treatment center, it's like I felt comfortable there. I felt like I belonged. So at the same time when I was there, it's like me and all those clients had so much in common. That's why I just admire what you do. Like, and, and um, how you got there is amazing. Like, like all the life, life things that you had to go through and endure and, and to still be mm-hmm. sitting here and rise up and, and show other people that that's possible. Right. Like you can do that. Like, like I, you know, like I came from the same lifestyle, like homeless, helpless, all that stuff, you know, like, and everything that you shared was just like, that was touching to know that anybody's capable of that life if they want it right that's that's what it comes down to you know and that brings me up to a question that I wanted to ask you is Mm -hmm. when was your moment of clarity when you knew that there was a better way that you could help people like in my professional life yeah I think maybe when we were like isolated in COVID we had this way of what we what we did on a day-to-day basis and then COVID happened and like the thing that I returned to was like culture, right? Like I, I was all scared in my house and I was boiling cedar and like smudging and like, you know, doing, doing those things. And like, yes, I go to meetings and I'm a 12 stepper, but at the same time I'm indigenous. And so like recognizing that that is just as important for our people to learn in treatment, you know, like it was, it was always there. But it just didn't make sense to me, like in that way. So when you're, so when you're doing counseling work, like what does that entail? Does that giving people advice on how to live? Does that giving them options, trying to get them to their own realizations? And then does it go as far as uh, trying to connect them with jobs or what, what does counseling entail? So counseling is like you meet with somebody and you find out what their issues are, right? You write down what their goals are and it's a treatment plan, right? And so for for part of that, yes, like what do you want to do for work? Um, But for me, like, yeah, we got to do like the paperworky type stuff. But I like talking to people, you know, um, on a one-on-one basis and get to know them. But also counseling is a lot of like education. Not everybody's going to get what you're talking about right now. It might come up like a year from now. Oh, that's what she was talking about. So like I really see counseling as like just like planting little seeds. For the future. For the future. Yes, that's yeah. that that makes total sense to me because it's like that clarity thing. Like you got to meet them when they meet their clarity. Mm-hmm. moment and and they're going to have knowledge of what you're trying to teach them or what you're trying to help them with and mm-hmm. and I get that and, and does that does that help you to understand people better knowing like coming from that same lifestyle that you came from mm-hmm. I, I it's, well another thing too is like I don't ever want to feel like I know what someone's experience is so like I always try to remain curious about people. Like, what is it like for you? Like, help me understand what your problems are or what it is that you want healing with. Because, yes, I can relate, but I don't know everybody's story, you know? That's like basic humility. Like, be staying humble. 
I don't know. I was just having this conversation with Joe while we were going to a ceremonial dance, Joe Nick and Navy. Uh-huh. And, and he was sharing about, you know, he had a counseling license and he had given mm-hmm. it up. And one of the, re- the, he said that when he got into counseling, the first thing that they said is you have to have respect, empathy, and compassion for somebody. Mm-hmm. And the minute that you don't have th- those three things or one of those three things, it's just about money and mm-hmm. about survival that you should give up your license. So he retired, kept it, kept his license, mm-hmm. and there's a moment that he couldn't respect somebody in the room any longer, and that's when he gave up his license. And I was like, "Dang, man!" And and the situation that he was in, I don't know. I would probably struggle with it too. Um, I give it give you guys 110 percent credit for remaining that. Um, you know, having that much empathy and compassion and respect for somebody, even though the the horrible things that you you hear mm-hmm. that somebody may have done to learn how to live a better way of life, you know, have that better way of life and and getting into recovery and helping them keep that. For the statistics on on people who are successful coming mm-hmm. out of a treatment facility or treat, treatment program, any of them. Do you know any of those statistics? I've heard it's like one in 10. One in 10. One in 10. <coughs> but I feel like it's changing. I, I do too. I mean, that's, that's, that's a tough um, statistic to go by, I believe. I mean, you know, just like for me and you, you know, and, and Charlie, it's like we had to come to that moment of clarity in our life. Like, which way do we want to go? Do we want to continue to... You know, like indulge in this lifestyle that comes with consequences, or do we want to really prosper in life in a good way? And and you know, like, and everybody gets there a different way. Everyone does. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like, and both ways have consequences. That's the crazy thing about it. Yeah, is that hey, which consequences do you want to pay though? Do you want to pay for consequences of? Having to pay taxes. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, there you having go. Having to pay up for a house, <laughs> having to pay for a car, you know, raising a family. Responsibility. Yeah, responsibilities. Yes. Yeah. That's, but yeah. aiming higher for people, I think that's the biggest thing, to aim higher and take on responsibility. Mm-hmm. So you think like the one in 10 people, you think those are the people that are aiming higher taking on responsibility and that's why they succeed. Like what are some of the things that you see as why people are succeeding or why you see more people succeeding? What are some of those key factors? Well, I think it's really, it comes down to like identifying what your purpose in life is. Um, You know, they say like go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps or They have all these suggestions, maybe do therapy and talk about your issues. But like, I think the biggest thing that I see is like finding your purpose, especially for indigenous people, you know, like what is your purpose? Um, For instance, there's this one guy right now, I know he's in treatment and he just discovered the drum and like, he's alive in a way I've never seen him alive. And that's pretty cool. You know, that is, that really is. So, so healing in the culture is mm-hmm. probably huge. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, uh, Charlie says this all the time, identity, the identity crisis that, that native people are in right now, um, not being able to generate purpose. And, and, you know, like Charlie's been a huge help to me on that. Like, uh, realizing who I am as an Ojibwe person. Right. It's like, I, I never talked like that before I met Charlie. I never talked about myself as an Ojibwe or an indigenous person. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, like, and, and Charlie came into my life right when I needed him to. Right. And just like, you know, like the look that you gave me when I came back, same thing, you know, open arms, like, man, mm-hmm. I'm glad you're back. I mean, that generated purpose. So, yeah. um, you know, I think just not being so down um, on people when they come back, like in that shame and guilt and regret and sorrow and all that stuff that comes back with you. And, mm-hmm. to, you know, like to know that 
we're here waiting. Right. We're here waiting and, and, you know, like you're always welcome. This door is always open. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge part of recovery is knowing that that door is always open. And, um, I wanted to bring something up. You had a a little, uh, miracle. You and John (laughs) had a little miracle this past couple months. And, you know, I wanted to say congrats on that, man. And, you know, I see you both just thriving in life and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the connection you guys have as a family unit is just one of the most beautiful things I, I can actually watch. It's yeah. Like, like that, um, where you guys are both at and, and John being my sponsor and, (laughs) you know, like it's just the most beautiful thing. And I want to say congratulations. And how does being a parent, being a parent, a new parent, um, help your recovery, help your career, help your purpose? Yeah. I mean, which first of all, but, um, so like, being a mother is like the most beautiful thing ever. Um, and, and it's, it's really interesting because like me and John used together, we were like inseparable for six months, just doing crazy stuff. And then we went our separate ways and every once in a while he would, he would message me and be like, where are you at? What's going on? And I was like, well, I'm sober. And, um, this last time that he, that he messaged me, he's like, I'm in treatment. And I was like, well, cool. And he's like, I, I messaged you because I know you're sober. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be support for you. And then eventually that grew into a relationship, right? And like I was just talking about this yesterday, how like when you're in your addiction, you don't really know how to have even like friendships, right? So having a healthy relationship is like so foreign. And so I wasn't, ex- I wasn't like, hoping for chaos like like some people you know but I was expecting it and and kind of for him too so like we had to work through that and and we did like open communication working on like all of our issues and our fears together and I'm calling my sponsor a lot he's calling his sponsor you know like in a healthy way we're we're working on our relationship and um we get to this point where I'm like we should have a kid like I want, I want a baby. And, um, I had always thought that like my addiction ruined my body and I would never be able to have a baby. And so we tried for her and she came the first try. So like she chose us to be her parents and like that in itself, like it makes me emotional, you know, like yes. right away. She's like, hello. <laughs> yes. I love that. <laughs> and so like, um, it's just, I'm so blessed for my relationship and my family. And, um, so in my career, there's always been that one thing that I feel like I can't relate to with the people I'm working with. And that's of, them being separated from their children or, you know, um, just the experience of being a parent. So although I don't, I don't know what it's like to have used and lost custody. Like I can, I can sympathize a little bit more because I have that love for my child now. So you're just growing as a person. Yeah. And growing in ways that you never thought was possible for you. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, man, that have I think that it, well, that's definitely happened for me. My my kids, man, they just they just make me a, try harder, try harder than I would be. I think they make me try harder than I would be if I didn't have kids, because mm-hmm. then I'll, it would just be on me. But because I know that there's four little kids depending on me to to do something with my life, mm-hmm. I, and then sometimes it's I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, get to take a risk and try something new and try something different and see if that works out. That it hasn't, it hasn't prevented me from trying new things, but maybe more calcu- calculated to know that, you know, there's certain things that I don't want to try. Mm-hmm. But there's some things that I want to try that I might have put on the back burner. Um, but no, definitely for sure. And I know that's, I don't know, I just, I, 
try to watch the post of your daughter on Facebook and <laughs> yeah. how much you love her. And, you know, I think I, as soon as you had your baby, I reached out either on the initial post or something. I was just so happy uh-huh. for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Because I knew how much, how big of a deal it was when I first had my first baby. Mm-hmm. You, you just, it's. It's you were fun. proud. She yeah. was so proud, <laughs> yeah. and she still is. Every you know, yeah. like, like I follow it, and and you know, like that. That's awesome to see that proud, that proudness, and that love that you yeah. carry for that little girl, man. And like, that's and, another thing too. Like, so like I took um, positive Indian parenting classes because like I wasn't raised in that kind of way, you know, and so I wanted to learn a little bit more and. And something that stuck out from that class was to not be angry with your child. And so, like, I can see myself, like, practicing more of the grandfather's teachings because I want to be, she's, like, a a gift from the creator. So, and, like, that's, like, spilling out into other parts of my life. And that's cool, too. You haven't been tested yet, though. So, like... It's awesome. Oh, I was tested. You have, you have I was, been? when I, so like Do, postpartum. Are you like short fused or anything like that? Can I ask that? Like I get angry, but I, it's internal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like, um, postpartum depression. It wasn't exactly depression, but like I had these weird thoughts of like throwing her and I was like, I asked for her to be named and and the person who named her came over and I told her what was going on and she's like, yeah, I knew you were going to be struggling with this. And like, they took care of me and they did some ceremonies for me, but like, that was pretty rugged. That's, that's, I I appreciate how, how vulnerable you are admitting that, especially on a podcast. I mean, not too many people talk about that and, and I, you know, as a father, I've seen it. I've seen postpartum depression. I've seen the how hard it is for people. Mm-hmm. And then as a partner, trying to help not only your partner, but the baby at the same time. And then mm-hmm. because you love the baby, I don't know. I, yeah. To me, I, I think as partners, you tend to love babies more than your partner at times yeah I, I think that's and, the way it's yep. supposed to be and yeah. that but is, trying yeah. to love the partner at the same time and knowing that they're struggling with crazy thoughts mm-hmm. and and not i just remember walking on eggshells once in a while and saying maybe you should ask for help and not knowing how to say that to somebody mm-hmm. especially when they're struggling like I, I don't know but i know it's super important to speak about and you're talking about it, which is awesome. Yeah. I talked about it, like, with a lot of people. Because I know, like, if it stays in my head, that's when it gets scary. Because that's what I've learned in my recovery. Like, talk about the things that you're struggling with, and it helps them go away. And, like, I prayed about it, and I tried to smudge, and, like, it just, I couldn't get it to go away, you know? And, like, I think it's important to talk about it. And, you know, in a public kind of way, because how many other women think that that's like something's wrong with them when really it's like it's a normal experience? Yes. Yeah. And is that like so you bring it up and you bring it up freely and you share about it. Is that part of like recovering out loud for you? Yeah. So that bleeds back to recovering out loud. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask kind of in the beginning and I totally, it totally (laughs) slipped my mind, but, um, what would you tell a person that's still out there struggling in addiction, active addiction? What would you tell that person or alcoholism or mental health issues? And, um, what would you say to that person to try to help them the most? Like, what would you, you know, like from, from a counselor's standpoint, from a, a, a Anishinaabe woman standpoint, from you just someone who cares and who's compassionate, mm-hmm. it's like, um, what would you tell a person, like, whether it's your family, a friend, a distant friend? You're not alone. 
And um, whenever you are ready to accept help, like we're here and we're waiting for you. And then do you give them like information to reach out? You can reach out to me on Facebook. You can Mm -hmm. call the treatment center. You can, how do you do it? Like, how do you leave that door open for somebody? Say you just met somebody. Business cards. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Maybe business cards. Does that work? (laughs) Business cards. <laughs> you want assessment. Here yeah. You go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got you. Um, but no, it's always been about like, here's this group called Sower Squad. We can put you in this group chat. Maybe you're not ready for it right now, but when you are ready, you can reach out in here if you want to go to detox or you want to go get an assessment or you just want to go to a meeting or whatever. Just hang out. This is where you can find other people. How many people have you heard of that just did the median thing and didn't necessarily take treatment? It's not as often, but I have heard of it. Yeah. Or what if they don't even do the median thing and they just clean up? You hear those stories too, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. There's just a lot lot of willpower to say, hey, I'm going to live a different life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So like... The peer support world is like honoring all pathways to recovery, right? And so, although it's kind of a generic term for it, um, just deciding that you don't want to use anymore, it's called natural recovery. Like you just spontaneously like, okay, I'm not on a good path here. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. So like I have heard of it, but I haven't seen it for myself. Like there's always something like culture or their family or education or, you know. So what is it called when somebody takes the cultural route and they, is, that's not natural recovery? Or the, would, it, would that be coined that? I suppose it could be. No, I was just wondering, like when I, when I, so when I got, when I went into recovery, I went through like the 12 step. I looked at all the 12 steps and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That makes mm-hmm. sense kind of like flew through them and then I just lived my life after that so Mm -hmm. I went and went and went to school I was already in school I was failing my first semester I failed every single single class I might have passed maybe one class and then the next semester um just stuck to living a better way of life so what I did when I first went into recovery is Some of the key words that I've heard in my life, like to be humble, um, to have empathy and compassion, I would write that down like on a daily basis and Mm -hmm. say, am I practicing these things? Did I do this? Mm -hmm. And think about, man, I was kind of short fused with this person. I told them off and, and maybe I had a, maybe I could have did that better. I could, could have had a better interaction with that person. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just wrote down values every I don't know, every day almost, every week in the in, initially when I went into recovery and I never really did the meeting thing right. <clears throat> and never went to treatment. But you were living those principles that you gained from like going to meetings and working the 12 steps. It was just cultural. Yeah. You know, no, like, it, like they're so it, paralleled. It is. It's crazy. So when I went back, you know, 14 15 years later, 15 years later, when I went back into the rooms, um, the th- everything made sense still. And then it helped relearn some of the things that I learned mm-hmm. that I may have put aside. And I'm like, man, maybe I should be practicing this more often. Mm-hmm. Because that's happened to me. So I kind of invite people who are in that natural recovery because I tend to know more people who are in natural recovery. And so I invite them to the meetings now too, because they have experiences and they've learned to live a different way of life. Mm -hmm. And I always try to remind everybody, especially in the meetings or at sobriety feasts or whenever I get a chance to talk about it is that I don't necessarily need the meetings to remain in recovery and remain sober. Mm -hmm. But when I do it, it enhances my life when I go to those things. But I kind of, I try to really let people know, like, the meetings are to find a new way of life. So when you have an opportunity to live life, take those chances. Don't be afraid. Like, 
if it's spending time with your kids and you can't come to a meeting, uh, I would pick spending time with my kids no matter what. Like mm-hmm. that's just the thing to do. If it's take a trip, a business trip and get out of your comfort zone and you're going to be gone for a week, take the business trip. Mm-hmm. Hit up a meeting if you really need to wherever you're going. See, that's fun though. Yeah, that is super fun. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. that's and that's that's your recovery working. Like that's your recovery putting all those opportunities in the way and we talk about that too like the opportunities that are laid before us in recovery. It's like had we still been out there using or drinking, it's like we wouldn't have them opportunities sitting in front of us. Yeah, we, for sure. Right. We we wouldn't have none of that. You know, and that, that's, I totally 100% believe that like my recovery is laying the tracks down for me to choose what, what I want to do with my life on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. It's like, which way do I want to go? So when people start getting those opportunities, like the people that you're working with on Mm -hmm. a day to day, when they start getting those opportunities, like how do you push them to take those motivational interviewing is this style of talking to people and it's it's basic you know it's it's coined as like a way to work with resistance but it's it's like one of the best ways to talk to indian people right it's it's like evidence-based and and um can you explain that a little bit more yeah let's define (laughs) that yeah so you say it and i'm like i still don't know what that is so for the people that are watching especially So what motivational interviewing is basically just a style of like talking to somebody. So I'll ask Joel open-ended questions or I'll give a summary of what he's saying. But at the end of the summary, I'll kind of guide the conversation a little bit. So like what you're saying is blah, 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 blah. Would you say this? to keep the person talking about what it is they're talking about. And you can kind of steer the conversation a little bit, but really the reason why I like it is because the person will come to the solution for themselves. I might guide them a little bit, but they'll come up with their own solution. And when you come up with your own solution, you buy it more than if I was just like, take the job. So how many times does that line up to... Hey, they should take the job versus they they do their work. They come up with their own solution and it may be better than what you originally thought like was the solution. Like as a, from a mm-hmm. person, like you just can't help that. Hey, I see the opportunity in front of you. I could tell you the opportunity in front of you. I could tell mm-hmm. you the realization that you need, but their realization was even better than what you thought it could be it's always like that that's amazing yeah that's rewarding work mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> for people connecting um do you ever do like work to connect people with other companies to hey maybe um they're le- saying they want to do um go to school to be a plumber they want to go to school to be an electrician or they do have electrician work like how do you do you allow them to find their own path or do you ever reach out to any of these companies that you might know to work with these people that are on a clear good path when i was a peer support i used to because like that's the main role of a peer support is like it's called a, a resource broker right so you're supposed to know about all these places in the community where people can access whatever it is they're looking for um but as a counselor i'm more more focused on like what what is it that you want to do with me as like what do you want to talk about today you know kind of thing versus like for sure though like if someone says oh i want to go to college i don't know how to fill out a fafsa well i'll help you do that i know how to do it you know but like actually plugging them into different people or resources in the community that's not really my role anymore so you then you just connect them with the peer support like hey you should work with your peer support on this or a recovery case manager that's what we have at Tugwe. Mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. no so, i think that's really important especially the work that we're doing with the podcast here mm-hmm. so the world of podcasts so one of the things that we try to do is connect companies with people and then connect people with companies 
and to build that relationship kind of like as a as a liaison yeah mm-hmm. and yep. yeah um the reason why i was asking that question is well how would these companies ever have an idea of where to find somebody who's on a good path and it's clearly the peer support or maybe even their counselor mm-hmm. and they might not even know like that's the case like why is this peer support specialist keep calling me to yeah. get joe yeah work yeah. some some work or just get their foot in the door that's that's you know that's the beginning it's like if i can get your foot in the door it's up to you to take it the rest of the way Mm -hmm. like and that i think that's huge like that's huge because i saw some of the hardest workers come out of the lifestyle we came out oh yeah like like and and it's unbelievable like you put that kind of opportunity in front of them and they continually show up like like and they grow a love for it just like my the what I do as a labor, it's like I didn't think I'd grow love for it, but I grew love for it because it's like it's not only self care, it's um discipline. It, it taught me discipline. It taught me how to be a better parent. It taught me how to be a better person. It's like I have a purpose today because of that, and, and it's everything: the recovery, my job, or my career, my. Um, being a parent it's like my days sometimes get so full I don't have time to do the things I want to do but I, <laughs> I'm doing everything I need to do mm-hmm. so um, another question I had is you know like we we're kind of talking about you know making opportunities for the the people fresh in recovery and stuff like that and say they want to take the route that you took Mm-hmm. What would what what would you tell those people? You know, because there's going to be people out there listening that are just getting into the into the recovery and probably putting uh you know putting the old lifestyle behind them. It's like, and what would you tell those people? Like like how would you guide those people like to 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 do what you do or to do what someone you know has done like. Like, um, especially when they're confused, because, you know, I notice that a lot, like in the recovery community, they go through the treatment, then they go to the halfway house. Well, mm-hmm. coming to the end of the halfway house, they're like all nervous about, oh, what am <laughs> yeah. I going to do? You know, I don't know where I'm going to go. And mm-hmm. and it's like, um, when would you say it's, you know, like tell them or, or guide them to let them know when to start? doing what they're supposed to do like in any career yeah just just like when would you you know when would you say push that button you need to start working on this now because your time you know your time's coming up Mm -hmm. well I think it's really important to be established with like a routine of whatever it is that you're doing to um, maintain your recovery so like for me I, I took I took a trip through the steps, right? And um had specific meetings that I went to and I, I worked through some stuff in therapy and started to feel a little more stable in my life. And then I started going to school. Like uh, that that feeling that you get when you're like first in recovery when you're on the pink cloud, you know? And then you feel like the pink cloud's going away. I think that's a good time to start working on like, who am I? Where am I going? What should I do? Mm-hmm. I can see how that's beneficial mm-hmm. and allowing somebody to find their own realization or their own solution to a problem. Uh, how many people go into say counseling or, or peer support with a number of years? Say they're not fresh in recovery. Like, how many people do that after a while? I don't know. Because you just became a counselor at almost seven years, right? I had five years in recovery when I started doing counseling. Does that happen a lot? Like, I don't think so. Like, all of my peers that I've seen, they're like 18 months, a year, and they're like, I'm going to go be a counselor. At, when I was at 18 months or a year, I was like, whoa, man, I can't even, I, I'm just playing cards <laughs> with them at nighttime. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be I'm trying to get my life together. <laughs> right? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So you're, you, it's not a traditional path per se that you took. You, it took some time to want to do this. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that 
you know, I was good with my own recovery. And I think that's really important for people who are working with, with anybody with similar issues. Like, how are you going to be helpful with somebody if you're struggling with the same thing that they are? Like, if they're triggering you by talking about their issues, like, you need to work on yourself, you know? Oh, that's important. And that's, a, man, that realization of knowing that you need, need that in your life need to be have that stuff figured out before you could help somebody mm-hmm. and maybe it just i'm sure it helps you every single day helping somebody like this solidifies what you're doing with your own recovery too yeah well see it the pays off the perspective i think sometimes is like i'm gonna go to work and i'm gonna get recovery but for me it's like i'm gonna go to work and i'm bringing my recovery like, I'm not getting recovered. Like, yeah, it does solidify my recovery. But if I have the, like, perspective that that's the place where I am going to be strong, I think that I'm not in, in the right frame of mind. Like, I have my own recovery outside of there, and I work on it. So when I'm coming to work, I'm in a good way when I'm working with people. So you ain't just taking a bunch on right. without getting your own stuff out. So they it's a are, balance. They are there to take things from yep. it. Yep. I'm not, you know. So how does, how, so you're, you're a mother now and, mm-hmm. I, and you know, it's far ahead. And I, as my kids get older and I get older, you know, I have to really consider like how, how do I handle them becoming teenagers and all the outside influence differently than my parents did for me because their parents handled theirs differently than they did for them and trying to do it better each you know each generation now I think we're trying to do things better Mm -hmm. and listening to our kids and trying to figure them out um you know as your uh, new mother like how does that influence how you bring up your kids So, like, I was just talking about this yesterday, like, I don't know what I'm going to do when she's a teenager, you know, but I can feel good about knowing that I am raising her in a better way than I was raised. Like, I want her to feel safe and affirmed, you know, like, even if, even with how small she is now, like, when she starts to cry a little bit, I'm there. And, like, the more that I'm there for her, the more that she'll know that I'm there for her, right? And so, although she might find that she's going to use with with peers or whatever, be influenced by outside things, like, I I can be happy in knowing that, like, she didn't see addiction from me. And she, she knows that I love her and that I care for her, you know? So, like... I hope that the way that I'm raising her, she can talk to me about whatever it is she's going through and know that like, because I also know from, from my work in recovery, like there are certain things I'm powerless over and the behavior of other people is one of those things. Like, and it's tricky with your kids because like you're responsible for them. Right. But at the end of the day, like I, I can't follow her around to school and, and stop her from, from taking that first drug if she chooses to. Oh man, that's, that's a sad truth. That really is. That's a sad truth. Like you can only protect them so far Mm -hmm. and it's good not to think about that. It's um, like in the future, but, but it's hard not to as an addict as mm-hmm. an alcoholic, like it's hard not to, well, how did I do it? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and that, it, that puts realization into the, into the atmosphere. Yeah. With, so I do some work with, with equity and racism and I work in that. I like working in that field. I like doing some of that work. And then, so understanding institutional racism and, and then being an addict, adding that into there, mm-hmm. and then adding historical trauma and the traumas that we get from um, growing up in a in a Native American community. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like you see all these forces that are against people and it, it you know, and it kind of like makes you stop and think how am i going to do this with my own kid how do i lay out the best possible path for them as much as as much as you can as a parent and then hope that it all works out for them because mm-hmm. it's it when you sit back and you think about it like us three shouldn't be here like three of us shouldn't be here um having this conversation i mean it's just freaking crazy that three of us are here talking about our recovery on a podcast <laughs> and hoping the same thing for our kids Yep. And trying trying to um, better their lives. I mean, it's a and but then the hope. I guess having hope and having faith that you know what we do as parents are is going to work out for them. Well, I think also too for me, it's like trusting in our culture and trusting in the money. Do you know? Like, as long as I'm putting out the tobacco and I'm I'm teaching her how to do that teaching her cultural ways because that's what changed for me like I I got sober when I was 14 and my counselor was like anything can be your higher power even a doorknob and so I chose music that didn't work out for me and so this time around going to Muscogin and going to Tugwi like learning about our culture and like our spiritual ways like it changed so much for me and like the faith that I have in the money do like, I feel like no matter what happens, as long as I'm connected to them, I can be okay with what happens as long as I'm living the best way that I know how. Yeah, that, uh, I think uh, that's one of the things that really helped me as a kid growing up is knowing that my dad experienced all this shit already lived the craziest life at one point and then sobered up and got his life together. And then, so even when I slipped Mm -hmm. and started going down that path for a bit, that I knew he was there and that I could go right back to it and that he would help me and have empathy and compassion for me and still be stern. My dad's a Vietnam vet and (laughs) Marine and... And, I, and a director of a halfway house and then got into some other things. So thinking about my dad's life, I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. So he went from becoming a counselor to a director of a halfway house to um, he went into corrections for a little bit, worked at Northeast Regional Corrections, and then he moved on to human resource director at Fond du Lac. So I'm thinking about his career, his career and his um, choices in life. Mm-hmm. Where do you see? How long do you do you see yourself being being a counselor? Realistically, like if you did, you ever put that into thought yet? Yeah, I definitely don't think being a counselor is going to be like a forever thing for me. Um, I had previously thought like I'll be the director at at where I was working and I was being mentored by, by the director and we had a really good relationship and, and that didn't work out. And I still stayed working there. And I was like, whose dream is this really? And, you know, I prayed on it and I thought about it and it it wasn't my dream. I was just people pleasing, you know, like she wanted to pass it on to me. So I was willing to take it, you know, but Um, and thinking about it, I'm like, what do I really want to do? And, um, I think mental health therapy is something that I'm really passionate about. And, um, I, I talk about how I like to work with people one-on-one mental health therapy is literally only one-on-ones like all day long. And, um, I interviewed somebody at the care clinic. She's an LPC. And that just so happened to be what my my master's goal is, is LPC, a licensed professional counselor. So like where I'm working now, there is room to grow into that. And that's actually part of the program at Tugwi is um, you work with a therapist who works there. So I think like what I'm doing now 
it serves its purpose and I'm growing and I get to work with, you know, people from my reservation and that's, that's amazing. And I get to learn too, at the same time from my uncle works there and the other counselors who work there. But I think eventually one day I'll graduate to mental health therapy that's yes, awesome. that yeah. is that's a and <laughs> yeah. that's a attainable goal. It yeah. really is. Um, I think we're getting short on time. We're gonna have to have you back sometime, Shandizi. You you got an amazing <laughs> story and just some of the some of the things in life that you're conquering, man, are just like they're attainable, they're desirable, and they're just like very motivational. Like, like just some of the things that you're doing with your recovery as a parent, as a, as a person in the community, and yeah. not only that, just as a friend. You know, yeah, like as witched. a friend, it, it, it just you know, like I've always kept a close eye on that man. <laughs> I just have because it's like it, it inspired me to walk the life I'm walking today, and and now you being a being a new mom it's like even more amazing it's just like i want to be a dad like that you know so it it has it you know it has its perks being able to to see it and and experience the life that we're living just in the community we're living in and if anybody gets a chance to do it it's like come on out and um so one last thought so like what you were just talking about made me think about when i was in my early recovery at like a year and a half, I was so excited about recovery and like all I wanted to do was show people how to recover because I wanted to share that feeling that I had. And so like for you to say that, like it, it I've made my goal, you know? So which Oh, and with people <clears throat> that maybe want to reach out to, uh, for help or maybe even to just reach out to you t- to get more of your story, connect you with uh, the possibilities, that the opportunities that are out there with people listening to this. How would somebody get a hold of you? Best way. <laughs> Facebook or Instagram. Um, Facebook, Chandel DZ Friedman. Instagram, I think, is Ms. Boz, Boss DZ. <laughs> I, love I love it. it. I love it. I love yeah, you, that. Can't, you can't make that up. No, no. That's she real she right just there. can't get into her Instagram anymore. No, that, that's real kidding. talk. Right that there. is. I like that. Chandel, I appreciate you so much for coming on here. And uh, just, I'm so happy for you and um, can't wait to see what else you do. Damn, you rich. Thank you, Shandizi. Me, Gwitch, for everything you do. It's like, and, and, and <laughs> just keep inspiring those people that are out there with nowhere to go. Cause that was me at one point. And, you know, I took, took that direction and I took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate everything that you do. Oh. Oh, Angwamazig. <laughs>